welcome back to that wellness podcast with Natalie Deering. I am here with Nick Rogel once again. Hello, Nick. Hi, Natalie. Hi. So for those of you that maybe didn't listen to previous episode where Nick and I, we were reviewing the show Shrinking on Apple TV, and I think we were going over episodes three and four. Yeah. Is that correct? Yeah. Yep. So yeah, if you listen to that one, then you got to know Nick a little bit. I introduced him there. But for those of you that haven't listened to that episode, we are going to be talking with Nick about your specialty, which is yeah. sport and performance psychology, which I'm really excited about. I'm, I'm excited, excited to, to talk about. And so yeah, I want to introduce you for the listeners real quick before we sure. get into it. So you are a licensed professional clinical counselor. And you're now working in your own private practice called Wellness and Mind Therapy. And like I said, you specialize in sport and performance psychology, and you're licensed in both Ohio and Kentucky. Yes. Great. So in the other episode where we talked about shrinking, Nick and I got in depth about how we know each other. We shared a couple funny stories, the uh, ones that neither one of us remembered. <laughs> <laughs> Like when you shared one thing that you remembered for me, I didn't remember it. And then I shared something about you that I remembered and you were like, I have no idea. Yeah. uh, But the way we know each other is we used to work with each other at Eastern Kentucky University's Counseling Center. I was there, I think, for five years before then you came on staff. And did we say that was 2015? Yes. Uh, Yeah. Very end of 2015. Yeah. December, I think. Or November 2015. November 2015. And then we both left like within a month or two of each other in 2021 or 2022. The pandemic blurs together for me. It was one. I I might have been 2021. Yeah. I, yeah. The past three years of time. 20. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, 2020. We'll say 2021. We'll just say 2021. <laughs> Maybe it was 2022. Yeah. When, you know, I think people listening can resonate with like, yeah, a sense of time is just kind of like warped <laughs> since the pandemic. So then the past five years or past three years, <laughs> we've left EKU. <laughs> and yeah, now you're in your own private practice. I'm in my own private practice. You're just right across the river from me in Cincinnati. I'm in Northern Kentucky and Fort Thomas. So yeah, we're pretty close to each other again, Yeah, which is pretty cool. Yeah. So yeah, I'm really excited to to talk with you today Me about too. your specialty. Because you know, it's funny. I was thinking about this when I was thinking about what I wanted to ask you. We worked with each other for like five years. You know, I felt like I got to observe kind of what you did in your specialty while at the counseling center. Because you, I know, obviously you were working with some of the sports teams at the university. And at the same time, you know, it's not like I was sitting there, obviously, like in your office or in your, in those workshops, really hearing what you were doing. Right. And so when I was like going through these questions, I was like, yeah, I'm like genuinely interested (laughs) now and how you're going to answer these. Yeah, that is interesting because as a therapist, you know, a lot of therapists, but you don't sit in their sessions. And unless they tell you, even when they tell you directly, this is the approach that I take. If you aren't familiar with the approach, it's like, all right, well, so we do the same thing as what you're saying, (laughs) even if it's completely different. Right. That's a great point. And yeah, because we're not, we can't sit 
necessarily, right? Like in a therapy session with another therapist, unless maybe you're in graduate school and you're you're able to observe another therapist and it's all agreed upon and all of that kind of stuff. But it is, it's just kind of funny. We like, we have these conversations with each other as mental health professionals of like, Oh, I specialize in IFS. Oh, cool. What does that sound like again? Or what does that look like? Oh, you do. Okay, great. And then, like you said, it's kind of this sense of, okay. And in the end, we're both helping people yeah, with, you know, various concerns or issues, whether it's anxiety, depression, or, and whether that anxiety is due to performance anxiety or social anxiety, you know. And and at the same time, your approach changes over time. My approach changes over time. So even if we've had the conversation once, eventually it's going to be a different answer down the road of of how you approach working with a client. That's so true. Because yeah, I think about, you know, Five years ago, eight years ago, my answer would be completely different. Not completely different, but it wouldn't have involved IFS and what I'd be talking about. And you're right. Yeah. Which is a cool thing about this field is we can evolve and grow in how we specialize and how we help other people. Yeah, definitely. So I'm really curious to know what led you to this specialty in particular of sport and performance psychology how'd you get here it was a lot of different a lot of different pieces that kind of played into it um i i have performance anxiety and i played sports my whole life so that was a big part of it just seeing from a young age because i was i was really superstitious (laughs) Mm -hmm. uh the different way that i could approach my little league basketball game is going to impact how well I do or not. Um, mm. So that seeing that and like when I was little, my sister and I would play video games. And when we were on a really difficult level, we did this weird thing where we would tell each other, like if I, if I was playing, she would sit next to me and be like, you're just going to lose. Like you might as well just quit right now. <laughs> You're already doing bad. And we did that on purpose because we noticed we would do better (laughs) on the level when we lowered the expectations Uh, and not knowing what that was. I now know that there's, there are more effective ways to, to cope with performance anxiety (laughs) other than that's basically avoidance. Um, Just pretend like you don't care. Okay. But But it also sounds like, it also sounded like trash talking. Kind of, but we were on the same team. Exactly, you know though. I mean? That's what, okay. Because at first, when you said that, it was like, okay, so she would like trash talk you. But yeah, at no, the same time, though, it was like, it was the opposite because the both of you knew that yeah. if you talk that way to each other, it could lead to you both doing better. Yeah, I should mention it would be on one player games. So we switched controllers every oh, time we lost. Okay. So we're both trying to beat the same level. Gotcha. And so, yeah. <laughs> We were both wanting each other to win, <laughs> but, um, and then it would show up it, like it, I would be a different player if the spotlight was on me with sports, like if a coach was watching or if, if my parents were in the stands, I would get really nervous. Yeah. Um, and just dealing with that. Yeah. And, and then, so that was part of it. The other part was playing in, in college and seeing the way mental health in general, anxiety, depression, just impacted me, impacted the my fellow athletes and teammates. 
And this was late 20, like late 2000s, where maybe people were talking about it. I don't remember. I didn't feel like people were talking about the mental health of athletes. Yeah. So that was, and those are two separate things. There's the mental health of athletes, and then there's dealing with um, performance, Mm. which has been a confusing journey for me too of navigating, okay, when this shows up, how do I approach it? When this shows, when performance shows up, how do I approach that? Okay. So yeah, that's interesting how you just said that, that there's a difference between, yeah, the mental health of an athlete. And when you say performance, would you say, did you say something else attached to performance is like performance anxiety or just performance in general? Yeah. Just like mental performance preparation. Okay. So whether that's leading into a performance that's during the performance, mm-hmm. how do I control my focus? How do I show up with confidence? Um, how do I not get distracted? How do right. I bounce back from mistakes? Mm-hmm. Um, and just, yeah, be resilient when things the, like the results, the things that we don't have that much control over when those don't go our way, how do you continue to be successful? Yeah. That's the performance side. Okay. So I'm imagining... So, you know, let's say there's, let's just say a student athlete who's a basketball player in college, right? At a university, they've got their own personal stuff going on, you know, because they're human. So let's say they've had a, a struggle with depression or anxiety for many years, and then they have basketball. Could you see it where it's kind of two different situations can happen where maybe there's an athlete who has, again, like maybe this predisposition already of experiencing anxiety and depression that's not connected to their sport. It's connected to maybe like family stressors and traumas. Right. Yeah. And I'm assuming there's situations where for an athlete, when they're on the basketball court, it's not going to impact their performance. Sure. And then there's going to be situations where it is going to impact their performance. Yeah. And so I guess I'm just talking that out loud. No, that's a really common scenario. My The clients that I see kind of fall into one of three camps. There are the mental health clients, anxiety, depression, relationship stuff, trauma, all that. There are the, the second camp would be like performance where we're just looking at uh, mentally performing, preparing effective Mm -hmm. self-talk. And then there are, is the third camp that is a kind of a mix of the two. There's mental health stuff, but there's also performance stuff. When that comes up, this is pretty common. uh, It's important to be intentional with what we're using our time for because 50, 50 minutes to an hour, it's not a long time. Mm -hmm. Splitting a session down the middle isn't, you're not going to get much out of either thing. We're just going to kind of briefly talk about mental health. We'll briefly talk about the upcoming game and then kind of feel like we're not getting anywhere. Mm-hmm. So we'll make a decision on what makes the most sense right now. Let's just focus on that. Let's put the other issue outside. We'll return to it when it makes more sense and just kind of put boundaries on the thing that we want to put, that we want to focus on. Okay. Cause let's say like for, I guess this would be the case of the third type of scenario. I'm assuming where, you know, you're talking to an athlete in particular and their performance 
is being negatively impacted by their mental health and what is going on within them that's maybe connected to, again, like family distress or a trauma, you know, things or academic stress. Is it going to be focusing on, okay, well, let's learn specific tool sets to kind of help compartmentalize? Or is it this mixture of, okay, yeah, let's let's process what it is that parts of you are getting maybe activated on, like that's connected to the stuff with your family or academics so that there is this maybe soothing or calming of that activation and how it's then translating onto them on the court. Yeah. I, as I pull also from person centered where Mm -hmm. you're the expert of you. Right. So my role in this is I'm sitting in the passenger seat. You're in the driver's seat. I'm kind of pointing stuff out, but ultimately you're the one deciding where we steer. So it's just kind of, kind of, what do you feel like we should, we should um, focus on? Should we focus on the mental health side or should we focus on the performance side? And either way, after two, three sessions, we're going to check in and just say, how's it going? Mm-hmm. Are we focusing on the thing that, that you feel like we should be focusing on? And if we're not, we yeah. can switch. But there's flexibility. It's it's guess and check. Mm-hmm. Um, and just kind of letting, your, the, letting the client's experience guide them. Right. Yeah. And that makes sense, right? Because like you said, we as therapists, you as a therapist, like you don't know exactly what it is that's specifically going on in there. All right. I mean, they are the expert of themselves. And I think by giving them that opportunity to express to you what they're feeling drawn towards, it's empowering and it helps give a direction that otherwise as the professional therapist anyway, you're kind of like, okay, yeah, I mean, here's some ideas that I can give you in terms of where we could start. But ultimately, you let me know, what are you feeling most drawn towards? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And then asking that question, which is a good tool, like, just in general for yourself, thinking about the thoughts that you think, is it effective? Right. And in therapy is the topic that we're talking about. Is it effective? Are you noticing mm-hmm. a difference in between sessions? And if it's not, we we change course. Yeah. And so I guess we kind of already got into this, but another question that I had that I had for you was like, what is sport and performance psychology? And based on what we've already talked about thus far, is there anything that you would add or explain in a different way that we haven't already touched uh, on? Um Yeah, like the so there's the technical skill while you're performing a task, and then there's the mental performance while you're while you're performing the task. So we are just looking at the mental performance while completing a task. Um, Okay, so would you say then, like when they're at practice, that's when they're working on the technical, like behavioral skill of the performance, and then when they're in session with you. That's when they're working on like the mental health aspect of performance. Well, really, you could do the uh, mental performance whenever. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, Elliot, practice. You're probably working on the same mental performance stuff. We want to, we want to replicate. How am I practicing? How am I competing? What are the messages that I'm telling myself? What are where am I telling my attention to go? Mm-hmm. We want that to be the same, whether it's 
by yourself alone in the gym in practice in a game. Right. Um, while also, and I think what, what you end up seeing is when you work on that, you're able to see a lot with a lot more clarity. What are the technical parts of my game that need work? Because I know my brain's not getting in the way. I'm getting better at that. So, it, it, which is the, uh, there's like a confidence in that, that I know right. that mentally, physically, I know how to show up. Is my game as good as I think it is or am I mm. gonna, or is it not? Like the technical aspects, right? Of like yeah, actually yeah. like shooting up, like throwing the ball and, or kicking it, you know, or whatever it is that the athlete is the sport that they're in. Yeah. I like what you're saying there. And that makes a lot of sense of if they're working on addressing like an IFS, we would say like maybe the parts of them that are getting activated with critical self-talk judgment or negativity and what ifs catastrophizing, you know, things like that, which is then putting them in a space of outside of what we would call that self energy of presence and calmness, clarity, all of that, if they're working on that alignment and then they're still noticing, like, like I was a swimmer. And so I'm thinking like, oh man, like I need to work on my flip turns because I can notice now that it's nothing to do necessarily with what I'm saying to myself. Yeah, It's just a technical skill that I need to practice with my body, maybe numerous times in practice to get it down and then encourage myself to know that, okay, yeah, this is something I can work on and that's okay. Yes. Yeah. And the, when you're performing a skill, you're going to be feeling whatever you're feeling. Like you're going to know those parts that are, that are activated that they're allowed to be there. And I, like I've heard you say that, which I really, I, I borrow the language a lot from, from IFS because it's so much more gentle than, not comparing that and like I use acceptance and commitment, but it, right. uh, it just, it makes sense. It just sounds good. And when you notice a part of you get activated, just saying, okay, that's there. I'll give that time later. But right now what I need to do is perform. Yeah. So like addressing it, right? Like not getting maybe blended with another part that is then like, oh God, no, like not this one again, or I hate this part of me. And yeah it's turning towards it. Like you're saying with that compassion, non-judgment and openness. And like you just said, I think really beautifully of like, yeah, I feel you or I hear you and let me give you time another time. <laughs> and can you please give me space in this moment so that I can just be present, which is yes. another self energy, right? It's like, they also talk about the five P's uh, as along with the eight C's of self and Actually, I have my little thing here. It's yeah, and it, it it's patience, persistence, presence, perspective, and playfulness. Which I feel like those P's I feel like align really well with performance. Yeah, another P. <laughs> no, no, I was like, I was uh, like, another P. <laughs> yeah, because you're you're really exercising. Cho you get to exercise choice when you allow mm -hmm. that part of you that's being activated that we that isn't going to serve us in this moment. You're allowing that to be there. And then the choice comes, okay, but how do I, how do I really want to show up? That's where value, value-based actions come in. Do I want to show up with confidence? Do I want to show up with playfulness or with humor or, or with competitiveness? And what does that physically look like? Like down to the look on my face, what are my mm -hmm. hands doing? What are my shoulders doing? 
those are the parts of us that, that we have the most control of during performance. So, and it's also grounding. It's, it's connecting you with the present moment of these are the behaviors that I want to perform. Even when I'm feeling super anxious or scared or nervous, focusing on the, the behavior. Yeah. Okay. So is this getting into like guided visualizations or is this a different piece? It can, that can, that can definitely play into it. There isn't like a step one, we do this step two, we do this. It's just, it flows. Mm -hmm. Um, If it were to go to guided visualization, then we would take like going back to the basketball player. If you're shooting free throws, let's rank a hierarchy of, of activation where one to 10, 10 being you are the most anxious one is your least. What scenario is one that might be you alone in a gym. Nobody else is around. You're shooting free throws three or four friends are there but you're just playing for fun. Five or six might be in practice and then eight or nine, you're in a game. And then identifying which one of those scenarios do you want to replicate? Because it's not always, it's usually not one. That's um, right. It, we need a little bit of anxiety to, to show up, but it's different for everybody. But once we pick that one out, then we go through every single step from what you're focusing on, how many dribbles are you taking? Uh, are you looking at the front of the rim or the back of the rim? Are you taking a breath before you shoot? Mm. Uh, where is your attention going when you lift the ball up? What are the messages that you're telling yourself? And then are you shooting it with one of those valued actions? Are you shooting it with confidence? Are mm. you shooting it with playfulness? Mm-hmm. Whatever that thing is that's most important to you to show up with, and so it, it gets broken down into a really, really specific to the client guided visualization script. Right. Where you can practice this over and over on your own. Okay. And is that script, how is that, I guess, done in the session? Is that you coming up with it yourself and like writing it out and then you like having them close their eyes and like you reading it to them? Is it them recording it? of their voice and listening to it. How does that, how does that work? There are options. Um, usually it's, we rank the difficulty, the hierarchy, we pick the, the scenario and then just, you just word dump. Tell me step-by-step, step, what are you doing? And I'm kind of picking out the details as we go. Mm-hmm. I'm jotting it down. And then once we go through, once we have the whole task word vomited, mm-hmm. then I'll read it back. And I will either do it in first person or in third person, but you get to, but what, either way, once we go through it, did you like first person? Would you rather have third person? And then the, you, the option is I can record this for you and I can send it to you. Mm-hmm. Or if you'd like to have this in your own voice, I'll type this up real quick. Uh, and you just record it on your phone, try to listen to it a couple times a day or leading up to competition. You just want to internalize this is what effective self-talk is. Mm. These are the messages that I'm telling myself. When distraction comes in, what does distraction look like? And and what 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 needs my attention when distraction yeah. comes up? So yeah, the and then between sessions they try it out, they come back, and we might make some tweaks to it, but it just gets more and more and more specific oh, okay. um, until it's just internalized. Right. And so 
I know we're kind of, I felt like maybe we jumped a little bit, but the, the act, the act acceptance and commitment therapy piece of this, it sounds like is helping the client reflect on their values and connection to their performance. Is that correct? Yeah. Yeah. So if they've identified a value of being showing up with confidence, which Mm -hmm. is an action in this, in this case, then that might be, I'm, I'm dribbling the ball with confidence. I'm moving slowly or, or with purpose with confidence. Um, Mm. So just kind of sprinkling them in those, those values. Yeah. And then, and then that's where you're saying, so like once they've identified their values, let's say, yeah, it's confidence, then you can be a guide for them and helping them have this vision of what does that feel like in your body when you're confident on the court. Yeah. That's the mental headspace that we're trying to get familiar with so we okay. can build that muscle, get back to it. Yeah. Yeah. And if it's playfulness, yeah. What is playfulness? Like you said before, like, is it a facial expression? Is it movement with your body? What does that look like? What does that feel like? And to me, as I'm hearing this, what I'm hearing again, like from an IFS perspective is like, you're helping the client embody their self energy. And that's something that I know for me, I, I find to be a skill set that me personally and professionally would like to maybe engage more in, in therapy sessions, because a lot of IFS is taught of like, okay, let's turn towards this part. Like, let's say the part of the person that's getting really anxious before a game and it's activating in a way that it's having them have issues be present, right? And feel confident. So it'd be like, okay, let's turn towards that part and get to know that one and see if it's willing, you know, how can we help it in a way that it doesn't feel like it has to activate you in this way, which is extremely important. And I feel like sometimes there is this maybe, I don't want to say a lack, but maybe this, again, tendency to focus more so on the part as opposed to also then taking time to notice what, when you're in self, what does that feel like? You know, what does that look like for you? Because I know for a lot of people, they've been in what we call self with a capital S at various points during every day, but you're not bringing conscious awareness to the fact that that's what it is. Yeah. And so then there's for sure benefit in taking time to focus on like what you're saying of like, Oh yeah. Like if confidence is one is a value that's really important for me when I'm, when I'm feeling confident. Yeah. What does that feel like? (laughs) What does that look like when I'm experiencing that confidence? Cause I just get, I get clients sometimes that are like, yeah, they can address a part, but then they're also like, I don't think I know what being in self feels like. And it's something that's so hard to explain, right? Because it's going to feel different to each person. Like the way I would describe feeling confident is going to be different than how you would. Yeah. Well, yeah. I, whenever the word feel comes up and I'll use the word feel all the time too, but whenever (laughs) it comes up, it's okay. We know what it feels like, but we have to be careful not to tell ourselves how we should or shouldn't be feeling Mm. because we don't always have really any control over that. 
But when you are confident, what are the people around you seeing? What does confidence look like? And it's that connection to the present moment that keeps you from trying to get the heck out of there when those, like that anxiety part of you comes out and is like, dude, run. Like, right. just bomb whatever you're doing and try to get out of here. We're trying to slow that down. Mm-hmm. What is the thing that is going to make you want to slow down time and just be present? Yes. And and again, I'm thinking like it's kind of like you're maybe training them to be really good at, again, like noticing, all right, what are the parts of them that are getting activated in a certain situation that there may be parts of them are wanting to change or alter, right? So getting to know all of those parts, getting to know how they show up so that you can even bring awareness to them when they're there to then be able to utilize that self-talk or like talking to the parts of, you know, with that compassion and asking for space, reminding them that they're safe and then being able, like Dick Schwartz and IFS, he'll say, when parts give space, self-energy spontaneously will emerge. And so then noticing because you've kind of helped them practice this of like, oh, I can feel that I'm in self, like I'm, I'm accessing self-energy because I've used those guided visualizations and, and thought about this in regards to, oh yeah, what does being confident feel like for me? Or when I'm being playful, what does this feel like and look like for me? And oh, like I'm doing it. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I'm doing it right now. Oh, that's so cool. You know, speaking this through, it's, it's making sense. Yeah. With performance, that safety piece that you mentioned is that comes up all the time because it feels like the results are the things that are unsafe or being judged. Yeah. Like I, I am as good as my stat line. Right. And um, yeah. So accepting the fact, this is also a muscle that I still struggle with, but, but you have to remind yourself that there is, you can do poorly and it doesn't, it's not a direct reflection of you. Mm-hmm. You can do really well. It's not a direct, direct reflection of you. You can feel good about a performance. doesn't mean you're a good person. You can feel bad about a performance and it doesn't mean you're a bad person. Right. Um, and that's the increasing that sense of safety of actually what people are, what I'm going to remember, what I'm allowed to be proud of is how I show up. Even if I make four, five, six, seven mistakes, if it's a dumpster fire, did I still not quit? Mm-hmm. If that's the thing that 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 I'm the type of person that I'm proud of, did I still give my entire effort and energy? Did I still take this seriously? That's the safe, the little safety part, which is really, really tough when like, a game doesn't go your way. Mm-hmm. You did really, really bad. You get yelled at. You make a mistake. You lose the game you feel awful you're allowed to feel awful and the silver lining (laughs) the thing that's gonna also help guard against burnout too is well i showed up in a way that i'm proud of right it's not gonna solve anything it's not gonna make the result change yeah but it's gonna make you a stronger and a a stronger competitor to show up next time and i can imagine because as you're talking about safety And in the beginning, I think in this conversation, you had mentioned that like when you were, you know, an athlete, there wasn't a lot of talk within the, you know, sport world of mental health at that time. 
Cause yeah, like I said, I swam competitively from the ages of like seven to 18. I didn't swim in college, but I don't recall a time when there was ever a discussion uh, like towards us as the student athletes about any of these things, really. It was kind of like, okay, you go to practice and then you have your competition. You might get yelled at, you know, mm-hmm. by your coach in some way. Mm-hmm. And then that's it. Right. Yeah. And you just, you do what you do. And, and so I'm wondering, cause then even having experience, like you having experience working at a university and working in on this side of things, you know, like you not being an athlete, a student athlete, now you're on the other side, right. Of helping them. Do you feel like there is, and I feel like I know the answer to this question, but I just want to hear you. Do you feel like there's a lot of room that, or a lot of growth that needs to happen in the sport and performance world when it comes to creating an environment of safety for these athletes in particular in regards oh. to their their health and whether it be physical, mental, specifically mental health, because that's what we're talking about. But yeah, what is your what is your take on the the atmosphere right now in the sport world and mental health? Yeah, it's I, I do think it's changing. Because you'll see, like when people describe a coach as an old school coach, you know, mm. it's like code for, they're just tough. They're really, yeah. really tough. Um, but then, yeah, for on this side of things, as a therapist, you definitely know the types of messages that a, a client's coaches are telling them. And they're not all bad. Like there are definitely a lot of really good coaches that are like, wins and losses will come. It's not the thing that I'm concerned about. What I'm worried about is is you as a person. Are you mm-hmm. showing up in the way that you want to show up? Are you developing as a human? So I do hear that a lot. I think that is coming a long way. There is there room to grow for sure. Yeah. And I feel like a big shift, in my opinion, recently was the Bengals game where, and now I'm blanking on the names, but it's the game where the player on the other team had cardiac arrest Uh on the field. And that was a traumatic thing for the people in the stands, but especially for the players who know this person on a personal level, watching him basically die on the field and then become resuscitated again, back to life. Thank goodness. And I remember sitting there on the couch watching that happening live with my husband. And I, I looked at him and I said, this is going to change something. Because then when both teams, remember, they were like, okay, we're going to give them five minutes to get it together. Right. And then they're going to start the game again. And I I was like, no, no way. And there's no way you could see it on their faces. They, they were not able they're human right yeah. and they just yeah. again like witness something so sad and i appreciated it so much that they were like nope we're gonna we're gonna take both teams to the locker room and they took their time and they never came back out right right and yeah and then coaches came out and i think or at least we saw them like in the back hallway or something and we saw them, you know, like hug, shake hands. And they both agreed that like, no, these guys are not going back out there. It's not about us winning 
this yeah. really was an important game because it was again i'm not i'm not that knowledgeable about all this stuff so i'm probably gonna butcher <laughs> this but it was like a game leading up to like the playoffs right so it was, it like, was super important it was yeah. super important but yeah, yeah you're, it was bigger than football oh and it was like, monday night football it was but, like monday night football it was a huge but, game yeah but like that that happening like seeing that they i remember them saying this is bigger than football like the the fact that someone's life was almost right. lost, which is that's that's the safety. I mean, really, ironically, that's the safety part is mm-hmm. when you're performing it's bigger than the sport that you're playing. Right. It's how you're going to how are you showing up as someone that you're proud of in the game? Right. Which and then you take that off of the field or off of the court too, to how you show up everywhere else. Right. And I really respected the coaches for listening and having the players health in mind as opposed to, yeah, like the game, like it, it wasn't about the game anymore. And, and I felt like that was a conversation I kept hearing other people say as well. And it also like different sports announcers where they were saying like, you know, this is a big shift. This is something shifted in the sport world as we all witness this happening and the fact that they handled it, I feel like in a way that again, yeah, like promoted that player and athlete safety as opposed to forcing them, Yeah, you know, forcing them, no, keep playing. We need to make sure we win this. They didn't do that. They may have right. done that 20 years ago or 10 years ago or even four years ago, but they didn't do that this time. Right. Yeah, the message that that sent was really important. It really was. And even I think about like, you know, Michael Phelps and how he's been open now about, you know, his struggles with depression and, and, and now I'm blanking on her name, the gymnast in this past Olympics, Simone Biles. Yes. Yes. And where she said, you know, I'm, I'm bowing out this round because I need to take care of my mental health. And again, I was just like, oh, this is so cool because It, it just great examples of just listening to what's going on within you mm-hmm. and knowing like in that co- case with Simone, you know, that's her job is to be this Olympic athlete. I mean, that is what she's putting all these hours into. And she was able to recognize, yes, that's true about me. And I'm also this person. Um, yeah. I'm more than just my athlete. performance. Yeah. Oh, yeah. More than just my performance. Definitely more than just these Olympic medals that we kind of idolize so much, which of course they're amazing and, and, you know, speak to the effort and the training and all of that, that these athletes are putting in. But yeah, I just felt like what we witnessed. And then also I found it was interesting just to hear, of course, there were some people that had like backlash towards her, which, there always there's always gonna be always outside noise (laughs) yeah you know people i uh, were like oh she should have you know just pushed through it and i'm kind of like but why i mean right right and what does it have to do with you and again that that again like it speaks to what parts of that those people were getting activated definitely in response to her decision you know to to bow out so yeah i just thought it was an interesting an interesting interesting like yeah just seeing how some people reacted to it 
But the fact that she made that decision, I felt like, again, was a huge step in showing the world, like, this is okay. Yeah. And the, yeah, there, it really does not to turn the spotlight on the commenter, the person <laughs> making those, those comments, but yeah, yeah, like what's going on with the people that are offended with this? Like, why is this a, an important thing to you? What's going on for that person? Like I had, I can't remember if I mentioned this in the first, uh, in the first podcast that we recorded, but mm -hmm. I had a professor in grad school that said, if you get to know anybody well enough, you can forgive them for anything. Mm. And going back to the outside noise, there's going to be people that are going to say something negative, especially with like Twitter. It's at 24 hours a day. It's there. Mm -hmm. And you got to keep in mind that perspective of this is also somebody that is dealing with their own stuff. And there's, there's something maybe going on for their life, whether it's distraction or whatever else. Usually it's not personal. Mm -hmm. Usually it really isn't, hey, they know you so well that they're calling you out on something that everybody sees. It's more reflective of them Absolutely. Calling, out, calling out the negative. Yeah. And again, I think it's it's someone getting activated in parts within them that are connected to wounds within them. And then they're projecting that onto someone else who yeah. they don't know. Yeah, you know, exactly. They don't know. So I know we've been talking a lot about specifically athletes, mm -hmm. but my question is, is this type of therapy that you do with like act and guided visualizations and performance, is this beneficial to other people as well who are listening, who's not a professional basketball player or football player, or, you know, anything having to do with sports, is this type of therapy beneficial to other people? Definitely. Yeah. So I, yeah, I see I mean, it's appropriate for athletes and coaches, but also um, like military, uh, police officers, firefighters, EMS, um, performing arts, musicians, mm. singers, um, yeah. in business, in how do I conduct, how do I show up for a business meeting? How do I show up for, an inter for a job interview or for a first date? Yeah. Uh, it's performance shows up everywhere. I, I'll talk about this with clients all the time where you can practice what we talk about with really anything. If you're playing cornhole, you can practice what we're <laughs> talking about. A uh, great place, but also a filthy place is when you play video games mm. and people are mean, but practicing, how do you, how do you uh, distance yourself from the pressure of maybe somebody uh -huh. on the other side of the world, a 12 year old kid that's saying something <laughs> um, performance shows up in all of our lives. So yeah, yeah. It does, it's not just, it doesn't have to just be uh, organized sports. Right. Um, yeah. Thank you for listing off all those other examples, because as you were saying them, I was like, Oh yeah, that makes so much sense. And, and also I had a memory of when we were working at EKU together, didn't you take a course on giving toasts? And yeah. like, and no, like speeches, Toastmasters, <laughs> Toastmasters. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So I just had a memory of you telling us that one time in a meeting that you were in this, yeah, this course. And I was like, oh, that's really interesting. And yeah. I'm curious, do you, what do you feel like you took away from the Toastmasters that relates to performance? That's a really good question. Uh, the, a lot of stuff. 
to get good at a scary thing, you kind of have to do the scary thing. That was a big part of it. Mm. And then also just confidence building. It's going to, you're going to be, you're going to feel weird the first time. You're going to feel a little bit less weird the second time. You're going to feel a little bit less weird the third time. But eventually, even when there is anxiety there, you will have the confidence that when, like when the anxiety part of you gets activated, you also know I can still perform well, even with this anxiety part being activated. Right. It doesn't necessarily mean that I'm not going to perform well. It's not a reflection of me. Yes. It's that whole thing of NIFS. We talk about like withness, like being with the part as opposed to being in the part. Mm. And I like to envision sometimes, like I'll ask just internally, sometimes if I'm feeling you know, like an anxious part or a part that's feeling frustrated, I'll ask that part like to sit next to me or to stand behind me and just kind of feel the shift energetically of like that energy that that part is carrying. So I could imagine like if you're, let's just use the example of giving a toast, like at a wedding or something, right? Which, and which, so people know if they're unfamiliar with Toastmasters, you show up once a week and you practice giving speeches in front of other people. That's just all it is. But sorry, Side notes, because yeah, I do want to, I'm glad that you brought up, yeah, what it is exactly. And is it just toast? Like, can people just like Google Toastmasters and yeah, there, I, when I was in Lexington, I mean, there were maybe 10 or 12 in Lexington. There were a couple in Richmond that would meet on different nights of the week. Okay. Um, And you can try out different locations to see like which group fits my needs, which ones. Yeah. Uh Um, Very cool. But yeah. So I think about like, if you're about to give a a toast at a wedding or something, and of course it's going to make sense that a part of you is nervous because you know, in public speaking, you have a bunch of people looking at you and then a part of you might then be worrying like, oh, am I going to say this or that? And ultimately, is someone going to judge me? You know, I feel like it kind of comes down to like that feeling judged, that feeling shamed type feeling that we're afraid of when it comes to public speaking. Right. But like what you're saying, if we can, you know, with practice, because like you said, with practice, it kind of helps the parts of us that maybe have the fear of standing up and and talking in front of people, if you can practice that, that might help that part feel again, like more safe, but also, uh, you know, acknowledging those parts before you stand up or start speaking to be like, okay, yes, it's okay that there's still a part of me that is fearful or that has this anxiety and nervousness. And can I breathe with those parts? And maybe again, like with self-talk, ask them to like stand behind me or maybe go like wait outside of the the room or the tent, wherever you're at, and just kind of feel that shift, which again, like I feel like helps then allows us to access that presence and that calm and maybe even that playfulness and clarity to be in the moment to then give your speech. Right. Because yeah, and you realize most people can't see what you're, what you're, that you're actually nervous. Right. Which is helpful. You'll get that feedback of, I think I couldn't tell you were nervous at all. Like, mm-hmm. And you're like, are you serious? Because yeah. I was <laughs> going insane internally. Like my yeah. armpits are drenched. Right. <laughs> um, I also find it can be helpful to even speak for a part. I feel like that accesses self-energy of courage, which is like when we can say out loud, even like in the speech a part of me is nervous right now to be standing in front of all of you. And a part of me is also so grateful 
you know, just giving an example, yeah. you know, another part of me is so grateful to be standing here, you know, in front of everyone. Yeah. And, and I feel like acknowledging sometimes the various parts can again, like help the parts feel soothed and like acknowledged and be like, oh yeah. Yeah. Cause people can relate. Right. I mean, like sure. every single person I feel like on this planet can relate to if someone's standing up in front of a bunch of people, if they're like a part of me is nervous, everyone's like, oh yeah, I totally get that. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. And you're doing the opposite of what anxiety is telling you to do because anxiety usually tells you to feel small or be small or run and hide and you're taking up space and you're putting a spotlight on the fact that you feel anxious, like directly mm-hmm. on that part. So it's definitely healing. It's a it's really good coping strategy. Just call it out. Like, yeah. I'm, I'm anxious right mm-hmm. now. And here's my speech. <laughs> yeah. And so I, I'm curious to you mentioned to me that you're in a training to become a certified mental performance consultant, correct? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So uh, yeah, I'm curious, like, what is that? What does that look like? That's through the Association for Applied Sports Psychology. What it is for is it just lets clients know, employers, just people in general know that you have the necessary training and your aligning with ethical the ethical um like values and, and requirements of of doing this job um and you're also committing to like ongoing professional development to continue to get better you're not just saying hey i like sports let me work with people in sports right um and to to get your cmpc a certified mental performance consultant to get that title you have to have um, either a master's or a doctorate in um, like sports science or psychology or a related field, so mine's in counseling. And then, and there are courses that you have to have t- took usually within the field or the degree that you have. But like I had to take a, an extra course outside of my degree field. Um, mm-hmm. And then there's a mentorship, like it's like supervision. There's a 400 hour supervision um, of, of clinical hour of hours that you have to get and then a test at the end. Okay. Um, so I'm almost there. I think I, I have like 10 hours of soup of mentorship left. Nice. Um, and then I'll take the test, be able to add those letters to the end of my name and very cool. Um, hopefully. So we'll see. Yeah. And so then what would you say would be the benefit of you completing this training? What would be the benefit for the people that you work with, you know, having this type of training? Yeah. Uh, so aside from the right, like having, assuring that you have the right um, training, mm-hmm. assuring that you have the right like mentorship and guidance. If I'm struggling with something, who can I reach out to? It's, it's just the like ongoing assurance that if I don't know how to figure this out, I know where, where to go. Yeah. Right. Um, and there is there are guidelines in order to to do this um, that I'm adhering to, so that you know I'm not just not just talking out of my butt. Uh, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> right. Because you know, even you being an athlete in various environments in your life, you can relate to that. And it sounds like you're also aware, and there are parts of you that are like, yeah, but I also want to make sure that I'm. Yeah, educating myself in the way of that I can be present with people, not just with your own self-experience of being 
a performer through a sport, but also, like you said, like there's so much, yeah, as you were saying, like, oh, well, I'm going to have like a mentor that I can consult with and I'm going to have access to these resources that I can turn towards, you know, to help me keep growing. And that is so important when it comes to, I feel like being specifically a mental health provider, because that's what we are. Yeah. Because I feel that way in IFS too. It's like, I feel like it is my responsibility for myself personally and for my clients professionally. Like for me, like I have my own IFS therapist. I also have my own IFS consultant. I also have my own IFS consultation groups that I meet with on a monthly basis. Right. So it's like, yeah, I, I look back at maybe times in my career when I wasn't engaging in those things. And it's not to say like every single provider has to engage in all of those things every, you know, every month or whatnot. But I will say, I look back at the times, you know, when I was a therapist and I wasn't doing any of those things mm-hmm. and it led to me feeling burnt out. Yeah. You get stagnant. You get stagnant. I think I feel like parts of me were taking on things that, I, and then I wasn't able to have a, a, a you know, someone to process with or uh, work on my own stuff that was coming up. And so, yeah, yeah I, I think it's great. Yeah. What you're saying. Yeah. But when you get, yeah, definitely. Because when you get, you probably felt this before, but like when you have a client that is dealing with something and you're just stuck, like you've mm-hmm. tried everything and then you consult with your supervisor and they're like, have you explored this? And it's like a little dopamine hit of like, oh man, that's the best idea. Uh, <laughs> tell me like, how, what does that look like? How can yeah. I approach that? What are, what are more resources that I can look into? Mm-hmm. And it just, it, it further informs your like approach, your expertise mm-hmm. um, and dopamine hit. Like, I feel <laughs> like I'm doing, I'm, I'm developing and growing just as my clients are. Yeah. And that's so important. It's so important because again, it's like, I just, again, I look back at those times when I didn't, I wasn't utilizing this stuff and it led down a road of stuckness and burnout and, and all of that. So I think it's great that, yeah, you're doing this training and that you're going to have access to all of these amazing mentors and it's just, it keeps us learning, which I think is so important because that curiosity is another self-energy quality in IFS that we talk about. And I feel like when we can stay curious, you're not really going to get burnt out because it's, you're curious about it. You're leaning towards it as opposed to kind of feeling like there's parts getting activated that are getting yeah, stuck or frustrated that want to maybe run away yeah. from it. Yeah. or that feel trapped in it. It's more of like, yeah, let me turn towards it with this curiosity. And that just helps shift. I feel like so much, so much within. Yeah. I remember, I remember one of my answers that I prepared for, for my Eastern Kentucky interview uh-huh. of what oh, it was something about why is having, why is working at a, a train counseling center with a, a training program. Why is that important to you? Something along those lines. Right. And the answer that I prepared for <laughs> was uh, uh, seeking training and and or receiving training and giving training. 
it forces you to stay on the cutting edge of best practices. I remember the cutting edge of best practices. I was like, that's a money <laughs> term. They're going to love this. They're going to love this term. <laughs> but it's also true. Like yeah. you stay, you have to be ahead of the curve when it comes to just what is the, the best, what's best practices. Yeah. That's something that I really miss about working at the counseling center is I think back to, cause it was a requirement that every semester, was it every semester or every academic year we had to present to the staff? It was like one multicultural topic and then clinical topic. So just those two. There's a third one. And I can't uh, remember what the third one was, but it like it, that's what I felt like helped keep us on our toes was you had to do your own research because you were having to present to the staff. But then I loved, I loved presentation days because I was just so curious about what someone on staff was bringing to the table. Yeah. Cause it was usually something that I had no idea about or that I didn't really notice that I had parts interested in. But then as I started sharing, I was like, Oh wow. And then I would find that I would be utilizing that information in sessions. Mm -hmm. Every time, every time, like I'd yeah. be like, wow, like this is, this is relevant. <laughs> yeah. As soon as you learn something, it will show up in right. sessions. So weird. Yeah. So that is, that's something that I really miss. So I try yeah. to, I try to find, yeah, trainings and all of that. I think that's why I love podcasts. Now that I'm saying this, it's like, I feel like podcasts for me are now my version of those trainings. <laughs> yeah, that makes sense listening to someone talk for an hour, hour and a half about something that they, that they find interesting and that they're curious about. And again, it's something that I'm like, Oh, I would have never sought that out, but it, I feel like it just helps again, like activate that curiosity, which helps us stay open. And yeah. I mean, listening to your podcast, that's from the very first one I've pulled those parts. Um, into my set, like they've shown up in sessions because I'll see clients that it'll be like all or nothing. Like mm. either I feel this or I'm, of uh, I'm faking it or I'm masking. Um, right. when really it's, well, it sounds like there's a part of you that feels this. Let's talk about that part. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. So as we're coming towards the end of, of this today, I'm curious, what are the services that you provide in your practice? Would you say in regards to like individual therapy or how would you describe the services you provide? So people know I do individual one-on-one -on -one therapy. Um, I do telehealth and I'm since I'm licensed in Ohio and Kentucky, you just have to be located somewhere in one of those two States. Yeah. Hopefully soon. Hopefully once I, I become a CMPC, I'll be able to provide mentorship that's down the road. But yeah, yeah, right now it's it's one-on-one uh, -on -one individual therapy. Perfect. Yeah. And how can people find you if they're interested in working with you? Wellnessinmindtherapy.com. Okay. And That's I'll awesome. put that in the show notes. Yeah. And also I think, so I'm not great at, I'm okay with technology. If you just <laughs> type in nickrogel.com, I think it goes to the exact same website. I'm pretty, oh, okay. pretty sure about both of them. <laughs> I don't know why, because so smart. I mean, it's not like there's going to be another Nick. Gro I've never met another Nick Rogel. <laughs> but never I wanted know. to lock that one down. <laughs> so you know, thirty years down the road, there could be someone super famous named Nick Rogel, and then they contact you, 
and they need to buy the domain. <laughs> True. I hope so. <laughs> you never know. Right. So yeah, it's wellnessinmindtherapy.com. Yeah. And I also like to mention psychologytoday.com because you're on there too, right? And if people don't know who are listening, psychologytoday.com is a great place to go to to find therapists in your area, in your state that you can punch in there. Like if you're interested in specifically like IFS or ACT, I don't know. Do they have a tab for, I wonder, like performance? I have think, ever, yeah, they do. They do? Like, I think so. Yeah. Okay. Um, and you can... Uh, to uh, narrow it down by age, like, like, do they work with kids? Because I, I only see clients that are 18 and older. I should mention that too. Right. Um, so I only work with adults. Um, and you can narrow it down if you're looking for something for your son or daughter. You yeah. can drop, do the drop down box for like preteen, adolescent, mm -hmm. whatever. Yeah. Yeah. It's a great tool to play around with to see who's out there. But yeah, so you're on there. You're on yep. psychologyday.com as am I. And yeah, I'll put those links in the show notes. So you can just click on them and it'll take you to Nick's private practice website. All right. Well, Nick, this was awesome. I feel like yeah. I learned a lot and I have more clarity for sure about how it is that you go about working with people on performance. I'm loving it. Good. Thank you for having me. I, I mean, how often do we get to just talk about ourselves <laughs> and, and, and like what we do and why we got here? Yeah, this is this is really fun. I appreciate it. Absolutely. Thank you for for being here. And yeah, if you're interested in working with Nick, look him up on his website. And yep. All right, everyone. We'll talk to you next time. Bye. Bye.